your Bibles, please open them to the book of Acts chapter 2. Well, we're beginning one of my favorite times of year. And uh, the reason why it's one of my favorite times of year is because beginning today, and it happens about this time every year, beginning today, all the camps are over, and the mission trip is over, and the VBSs are over, and the day camps are over, and the kids are starting to come home. I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about kids. The kids are starting to come back to church. And it's such a delightful time uh, for me as a pastor to see the kids start coming home. Things start settling down uh, into, back into a routine. Sometimes routine's not good. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's just good watching the kids come back home. Uh, in a few weeks, uh, in fact, one Sunday night, I think next month, we're going to have a report session, and all the mission trip testimonies are going to be given, and testimonies from camp is going to be a great night. I hope you'll be able to come and be with us on that night. But I'm so glad when this time of year comes, when things start settling down and we're back home. Uh, been in camp meeting for the past 10 days, living in a shack. There's about 75 shacks all up in a circle. Uh, they didn't put the preacher's tent, though. They call them tents. They're really shacks. But they, didn't, they put the preacher's tent up on a hill back behind the campground. I called it Mount Sinai. That's not what they call it. That's what I call it, up on a hill. And I told them, I said, now, even though I call it Mount Sinai, if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you see fire and smoke up there, don't think it's the Lord. You call the fire department. You call the fire department. Don't you take any chances. Oh, what a great time. What a great time. Uh, three services a day, got to preach half of them. We saw people saved every day. Not every service, but every day. Last night was the last service I, I preached. We started at 8 o'clock. They turned it over to me about 10 minutes till 9 o'clock. Those folks like to worship down there. Makes me so mad. I'm just raring to go preach, and all they want to do is worship. All they want to do is sing. So I finally got up there to preach, and uh, Gave the invitation, nobody came. I said, man, alive, somebody's supposed to come. Somebody's supposed to come. And I told him, I said, sing one more verse. And we got down to the very last half of a line of the song. I had turned to the music man and, and gave him the, 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 the signal to uh, end the service. And I looked up, and here comes a, a young boy dragging his father with him. And that young boy was so broken. I've never seen a, a boy so broken. He came up to me. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Drayton. I said, what, what, what are you coming down here for? He said, I am lost and I have got to be saved. Fell down in the altar. I'm telling you, we were that close to closing the service. He fell down the altar. We started praying with him. While we were praying with him, there was another lady that came over here and she fell down the altar. While somebody was praying with her, there was another teenage girl who came down and fell in the altar right here. All of a sudden, people were filling the altar. Good gracious alive. Bubba, bubba, bubba. I like those kind of things. Yeah. Finally got the whole service cleared out. Had two people saved in that service. Other people came and made uh, life-changing decisions. And people were dispersing from the arbor, going back to their tents. And I had picked up my Bible and I was headed out to the preacher's tent because I was already packed up and ready to head back down to Palmetto, Georgia. 
And just as I was getting to the edge of a tent, here comes a mama with another little boy. I said, what's the matter? You got to talk to him. I said, what's the matter? What's your name? He said, my name's Bennett. I said, what do you need? He said, I got to be saved. My heart's just killing me. We knelt down the altar. and He was saved. I thought I'd get out of there about 9.30 and crawl in here to Palmetto along about 10 minutes to 11 o'clock. It was after midnight before I pulled in. I took a nap and came on back up here this morning. I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, seeing the Lord move. And uh, it's good to be back. I, I thank you for allowing me to, the opportunity to be there. I was with my mafia friend preacher again, I told you about. You remember me telling you about him, didn't I? Yeah, I found out he used to be in the mafia, but I found it out on the third night of camp meeting last year. They didn't tell me until I'd spent three nights in the room next to him, like to die. <laughs> I was back with him again. What a joy to be with them. We're dealing with basics, Christianity at ground level. And in this uh, short series, we're simply touching on some foundational elements of the Christian life. You remember that in the first message, I talked about sin and salvation. Christianity is necessary because we have a sin problem. It is our sin problem that prompted Jesus to leave his throne in heaven and come down to earth and live a perfect life, die a, a voluntary substitutionary death on the cross and be raised again the third day. It was our sin problem that moved him to do such a thing. Sin and salvation. In the second message, I talked with you about the importance of Bible study. And you remember we discussed how to study the Bible, a way to study the Bible. You can't live the Christian life without the reading and studying of the Word of God. It's a simple impossibility. Last week, uh, uh, Buddy and Barry talked with you about witnessing. One of the essential aspects of, of living the Christian life is being a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Witnessing to your friends and loved ones and your neighbors and your work colleagues and the fellow students. It's essential. And it's probably the most neglected area of the Christian life among Christians today. We have become secret service Christians instead of Christians who are willing to tell the story unashamedly and yet humbly. And then Mr. Doug Banks last Sunday night again talked about the importance of, of our, our beliefs about God, about Jesus being God and the importance of salvation again in the beginnings of the Christian life. I appreciate uh, those three gentlemen for leading our services this past week and I appreciate uh, Chris and the, the folks who led in the mission trip and uh, our church was spread out over the course of the last few days. Well, in line, of that, in line with that series, I want us to think today about the glue, that, what I've called the glue that holds it all together, and it's church. I want to talk about the church. Acts chapter 2 is the chapter that describes the birthing of the church. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended back to the Father after giving his last marching orders to the disciples. He told them, he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the power of God comes down on you. And then I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, then to the outskirts of Judea, and then into Samaria, and then to the utmost parts of the earth. And then he ascended back to the Father. 
And the disciples were doing what they were told. They were staying in Jerusalem, hanging out there, fellowshipping, worshiping, mainly praying, and occasionally preaching. And then, in Acts chapter 2, on what's called Pentecost, a Jewish holiday, a Jewish festival that was, uh, for them, as significant as Christmas is for us. People got together. A lot of people traveled to Jerusalem. It was Pentecost, the Greek word for 50 days, meaning it was 50 days past the Passover. And Peter got up to, have a, to lead in a worship service of some sort. He was preaching, probably in his uh, Aramaic tongue, Aramaic language. But it was going to be anything but a routine worship service. You know what my prayer is for this service right here? That it be anything but routine this morning. He got up to preach thinking it was going to be routine. He was preaching in Aramaic. But as he began to preach, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and it landed on each of the apostles and you could see it. It was like tongues of fire resting upon each one of them. And as they were preaching in their own language, the people who were gathered, hundreds of them, perhaps thousands of them from different parts of the world, coming from places where they didn't speak Aramaic and didn't understand what Peter and the boys were saying, as far as from Aramaic, they came together and they heard what Peter was preaching, except they heard it in their own language. It was a miracle of communication, the likes of which we've never experienced since that time. Let me tell you how specific this miracle was. In Acts chapter 2, there are two words in Greek that are used, that are translated language or languages in English. One of them is the Greek word glossolalia. We get our word glossary from it, and it's translated language. It means a language. They spoke in our own native glossolalia. The other word is the Greek word dialectos. We get our word dialect from it. Not only did those people there hear in their own language, But they heard in the unique dialect of that language that they had grown up with. In other words, had there been somebody from Palmetto, Georgia there on the day of Pentecost, they would have heard Peter say, Now you all need Jesus. It would have been in English and it would have been in middle Georgia, southern dialect. It was a very specific Miracle of communication. And the Bible says that when they gave the invitation, 3,000 people were saved. Now you're talking about needing to have a crash course in evangelistic counseling. 3,000 people were saved. A few days later, 5,000 people saved. I mean, things were popping. Things were happening. The church was born. And at the end of chapter 2, Luke, who is writing this book, gives a summary, a summary evaluation of the condition of the church. Luke likes to do this. He did the same thing in the Gospel of Luke uh, at certain intervals in Jesus' own life and ministry. And here, at the very early point of the church's life, he gives uh, a summary statement that gives us some uh, characteristics of what the early church was like. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42 
They, meaning the Christians in the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of my favorite authors is Anne Lamott. And one of the books that Anne Lamott has written is one entitled Traveling Mercies. It's a great Uh, journal of her own uh, spiritual journey. And at one point in the book, Traveling Mercy, she she talks about her pastor, who was also one of her best friends, and that her pastor had a daughter, seven years old, who lived in a town where uh, the pastor was, was serving a church, and the little girl was out playing in the yard at seven years old and decided to go walking off just for, for no real reason and with no supervision, walked off and, and took a left down one street and, and walked a little bit further and took a right. And it wasn't long before the seven-year-old girl was lost in a city. When the parents finally discovered that their little girl was not playing uh, there at the house anymore or in the yard, they became frantically looking and searching for the little girl. And as a police officer drove by and saw the little seven-year-old girl in the city, and, and thankfully he was a police officer who was, uh, he, he was very observant. And you know, you, you, if you're a police officer and you see a little seven-year-old girl in the middle of a city with no adult supervision and, and uh, parental supervision, you think, well, something's not right here. And he stopped and he began talking with the little girl and, and he figured out that she was lost and couldn't find her way back home. True story. And uh, she didn't know her address. She didn't know her phone number. And so he said, well, why don't you get in the car and, and we'll see if we can find your parents. I'm sure that they are uh, frantically looking for you if they've discovered you're, you're missing at this point. And so she got in the car and he was headed back to the station to see if anybody had called in a missing persons report. And they went by the church where uh, the pastor served. And the little girl noticed it when they drove by. And she said, stop right here. And he says, what do you mean? Stop right here. This is my church. And he said, well, honey, this is not where you live. She says, no, but this is my church. She said, if you'll let me out here. She said, let me out at my church. I can find my way home. That's what I love about the church. When I've lost my way and when you've lost your way and when struggles come like mighty tidal waves and we can't figure out which way to go right or left, one thing I can count on, you take me to Palmetto Baptist Church and I can find my way home. Because I know that's the kind of church I'm a part of. That's the kind of family that I am a part of. I don't know how people who claim to be Christians but don't go to church, I don't know how they do it. In fact, I don't think they do it. I don't think they can do it. I don't think it's possible 
to live the Christian life with all the the benefits and the fullness and the advantages of living the Christian life without being an active part in a church. In the New Testament, when the term church is used, it's used in two ways. In in one way, uh, the the New Testament writers use the word church as, as referring to that total number of all the people who've ever been saved worldwide, the universal church. It used to be they used the word Catholic with a small c, the Holy Catholic Church. They weren't talking about the Roman Catholic Church. They were talking about the universal church. The, the, the word Catholic meant the universal church. Everybody who's ever been saved, ever given his or her life to Christ. And that included Baptists, and it included Methodists, and it included Presbyterians and Episcopalians, and it included Lutherans, and it included some Catholics, and it included some folks who were non-denominational who didn't want to be denominational. It included everybody who was Christian. The whole church. And to that extent, anywhere you and I travel, when, the, when Hugo and Doris traveled to the Philippines, and when Miss Fran traveled to Peru, when they would run into somebody who had given his life to Christ or her life to Christ, they ran into the church. It was wonderful. One of the things I loved about camp meeting so it used to be, used to be Methodists and Baptists hung out a lot. Some of you grew up in places where if there was revival, you'd go to the Baptist church for revival, and then you'd go to Methodist church revival. Some, some of you grew up in churches that were what they call quarter-time churches. Now, I'm not for going back to quarter-time, but your church would meet for preaching, for preaching, uh, and worship once one Sunday a month, but that didn't mean that was the only time you went to church. You went to your church on the first Sunday and the Methodist church on the second Sunday and, and the other Baptist church on the third Sunday. I mean, people got together a lot. And, and, it, and it seems in this modern day of, of Christianity, we have, we have become very isolated and separate. And I don't, I don't think that's good in, in many ways. But one of the things I love about the camp meeting, I can go out there and I can look out of across, across a congregation of around 400 people or so, and there are Baptists, Methodists, there are Pentecostals, there are uh, uh, Catholics, there are Lutherans, there are people who don't know exactly what they are, but they know they're saved, which is probably a lot more people than what we want to realize. And they're all there, and they're just, the, the labels vanish away, and we're Christians there. We're back to Antioch. You remember in the book of Acts when they moved the missionary headquarters to Antioch, and it says it was at Antioch that the, that the people who followed Jesus were first called Christians. That means little Jesuses. That's what I want us to raise up, some little Jesuses. Not some big Jesuses, but some little Jesuses here. The church. These few verses give us insight into how this church was. It was young, and even though it was small at first and, and, and heavily persecuted, it was thriving. And we're able to glimpse inside a window and see what this church was like. And there, there are several uh, characteristics of this church that we see. The first thing that we notice about these people is that they were together. Verse 44, all the believers were together. Now, what does that mean? It means, that, uh, it means more than just being physically together because they weren't always physically in each other's presence. But the fact of the matter was that whether they were physically together or not physically together, in their hearts and in their minds, they were in unity. They were of one heart. They were together. 
We need to be together. Our hearts need to be united and knit together. Not only were they together, but secondly, Luke tells us here that they had all things in common. Again, verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. What did that mean? It means that when they looked at each other, there were no big I's and little U's and big U's and little me's. Everybody looked at each other with respect and counted each other as equals before God and equals before each other. It didn't matter what their color was or what their race was or what their gender was or what their job title was. It didn't matter about what was in their bank account. They all came together and they were equals. They had all things in common. Some people believe that there was was a, a, a communism or a socialism. I don't believe that's what it was. I simply think they viewed each other as equals. And as such, they respected each other. Not only did they have all things in common, but Luke also tells us that, number three, they studied the Scriptures. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching was based on the Old Testament plus the the event of Jesus, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his Holy Spirit's presence, the whole Jesus event smeared on top of the Old Testament bread was the full teaching of the apostles. They studied the scripture. One of the things that is unique about the church is we come together and one of the aspects, it's not the only aspect, but one of the aspects of of our time together is we open up God's word in worship and in small group study and we, we we discuss and we teach and we, we pull apart and we try to run, run our, our fingers into the scriptures and pull out what God's word says to us. Because we believe, don't we? That even though this book is an ancient book, it has life, it has timeless life application to each of our lives. No matter what you're going through, there's something that God has to say to us in his word. And we know it. And every Sunday morning, I come in anticipation for what God's going to say to me and you in our life situations. They were together, they had all things in common, and they studied the scriptures. And then fourth, Luke says, they took care of each other. They took care of each other. Look at verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone... As he had need. Put in layman's English, they took care of each other there. The church viewed each other with love and respect. And and the way they looked at it was if one person suffered, then the whole church family suffered. And if one person was in need, then the whole church family would stand up to the occasion and gather around that, that uh, a fellow believer in need and, and minister to them. If they couldn't provide the physical needs that the person had, then they would at least provide their presence there. They cared for each other. And of course, the larger the church, 
the more difficult in some ways that becomes. You have more resources, but some folks get lost in the shuffle. That's why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, to get plugged in. The, the, the longer you've been at a church and the more deeply plugged in you are, the more likely when struggles come your way, the rest of the church is going to gather around you. When you have someone who falls through the cracks, as happens in almost every church, some struggle comes in their lives and they're not ministered to as effectively as perhaps they should have been by the church. What, what often is the case, maybe not every, every time, but what often is the case is you're dealing with a person who has not been at the church long enough or has, not, has, purposely, has purposely decided not to get involved with the church deeply enough that people don't know them that well. Get involved. Get to know people. Be in worship. It's the glue that holds us together. Get in a small group. Get to know people. Get some phone numbers in your address book. Make some Facebook friends. Or make some friends somehow within the church family. Because they will care for you. We could, I could stop this message right now and just go right down from pew to pew to pew, ask people to stand up. Tell, give us a testimony of, of where somebody in the church, when you were in a struggle, cared for you. And some of you, some of you, we wouldn't even have time to hear everything you had to say. Because you'd have a testimony of how somebody in this church cared for you. Not only did they care for each other, but Luke says they socialized together. Verse 46 Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What Luke doesn't tell us there is they probably played rook and a few domino games together. I don't know. Fact of the matter is they enjoyed each other's company. They socialized together. Get to know people. And then number six, Luke tells us, Luke tells us that they worship God. This is, this is the most important thing that you and I do as a church, I believe, because everything else is an outflow from the time that we spend together worshiping God. He says in verse 47, they were praising God. What is praising God? It is worshiping God. It is adoring Him for who He is. It is just being silent in His presence and yet singing the joys of being in a relationship with Him. It's worshiping God. You and I were created for this. And so when we are here worshiping, we're doing the very thing for which we were created. And God fills us during those times of worship. The psalm says He inhabits our praise. There is a God-shaped hole in your heart that is filled by God's Spirit perfectly at the point where we worship God. They were worshiping God. We're talking about church here. And then number seven, they won their friends and loved ones to Christ. I love the latter part of verse 47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine what that was like? The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know what my dream has been uh, for our church? And not just for our church, but let's face it. We're here and we want our church to, to thrive, don't we? Don't we? Ever since I've been here, I've longed for the day 
when on every Sunday morning that we meet here, in, in however many services we have, that in every single service when the invitation is given, somebody will come and be saved and other people will come and join the church and other Christians will come and make life-changing decisions that draw them closer to Christ. Every single service. That's still my dream. It's still what I long for. Can you imagine how that would be? And you get, it, you get in such a... Uh, a habit of folks coming to the altar and giving their lives to Christ that one, on, on one particular Sunday when you have a service and nobody comes, everybody's walking out. And they're not talking about the sermon. They're not talking about how wonderful the choir was. They're walking out saying, wonder what in the world is going on here. Nobody came up today. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Every single Sunday, life change at Palmetto Baptist in the altar. That's what I long for. Will you help me pray for that? I know you will because I know that's what you want. You want people to be excited about your church. They won their friends and loved ones to Christ. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I love the church. It's the glue. It's, it's you know, coming together with you is what it's all about. I, I love all the other things we do, but my favorite thing is coming together here with you. Being with you, worshiping with you, seeing you, shaking hands with you, meeting eyes with you. There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it. Fred Craddock, in one of his messages, he talked about many years ago. He's in his 80s now with Parkinson's and not able to get around. But when he was a young preacher, he and his wife, Miss Nettie, they... His first pastor was a Disciples of Christ Church, a Christian church. It was a small church, and uh, I forget if it was in Tennessee or, or Missouri, but it was, it was way out in the country, a small church, one of, those, one of those tight-knit churches where it was so small that everybody knew. It wasn't that they, they knew everybody. They knew everything about everybody. Smaller than Palmetto. And he said he went there and he said they would baptize, the, the disciples of Christ's denomination, they baptized by immersion as we do. And he said, but at that church they baptized once a year and it was at a certain outdoor pond. And this particular pond had a little island in the middle of it. And he said the custom was that it, the whole church would gather on the shore of the pond and those, who, those new Christians who were to be baptized would get in a single file line and they would be led across the pond to the little island. And they would all stand on the island waiting to be baptized. And Craddock said that he would go out into the water and, and they would sing some songs. Uh, this really touches a, a, a chord with my heart because I was baptized in a pond out of, out of uh, Shake Rag, Georgia. There were 27 of us who were baptized on an early Sunday morning. And I remember being led in single file. We held hands so we wouldn't fall in the pond. And we were going across there. We didn't have, didn't have robes. We were just in our, in our clothes. We'd be led in a single file out in the water and we could hear the church on the, on the shore. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. And they'd keep singing until we got in place. Christ. 
Craddock said they would sing the songs until he got in place. And then he would turn, he would motion for the first baptismal candidate to come. And he would say a few words about baptism. And then he would take the person under the water and bring her back up. And, and as soon as each person was baptized, they would be led out of the pond. And there was a makeshift a little booth to change clothes in. And the uh, makeshift because it had sheets on all sides and each person one at a time would go behind in that little booth behind the sheets and change clothes and that would happen with each person who was baptized and then Craddock said after the last person was baptized and entered into the booth he said then I too would come up out of the water and I would go into the booth and I would change clothes and he said while we were changing clothes there was an old farmer in overalls who would build a bonfire there on the ground beside the lake and he said, when, when I and the last person who had been baptized had finished changing clothes, all the baptismal candidates would come up close to the fire. Because you know how cool it is, even on a warm summer's day, it's cool when you come out of the water. We would gather by the bonfire. He said, I would be there with the baptismal candidates. And he said, then all the church would gather in a circle. We would encircle the candidates the new members who were also encircling the bonfire. And he said, we were all in a circle. And he said, at a, a, a specific time, there was a certain man in the congregation, an older man, known to be a leader in the church. He would stand up, and with his gruff voice, he would say, all right. He would walk over to the center, and one by one, he would give the name, the family, of each of the new baptismal candidates the new converts. And after he had introduced each one of them, he would turn and around the circle, one at a time, each of the existing church members would go, they'd go around, they'd say something like this. My name is, and if you ever need, come call me. My name is Joe Wilson, and if you ever need woodcut, I'm the one to call. Well, my name is Sue Willingham, and if you ever need uh, anybody to keep the kids, call me. Uh, my name is Eloise Blankenship, and if you ever need a dress hemmed, I'm the one to call. And they'd go all the way around the circle, one at a time, giving their name and some contribution they made to the life of that church family. Craddock said when everybody had gone around and introduced themselves and their contribution, they would spread out blankets and they would have a picnic. The church gathered together by the bonfire and by the waters of baptism. And they would fellowship and they would socialize and they would love on each other. And then at a certain time, always a certain time, another leader in the congregation wearing overalls and his thumbs perched in between his overall straps would get up, pull one of the straps out, raise his hand and say, all right, it's time to go. Nobody questioned, he said. Everybody started folding up their blankets, putting away their picnic boxes, gathering up all their baskets, and they'd be headed out. And he said, the first time it ever happened, he said, I was in awe of this simple little ritual that had so rich a meaning. And he said, I didn't even realize that the people had left until I looked up and he said, the only two people left were myself and this overall man who had called for everybody to leave. And he says, 
he, he was going around the campfire and he had these old boots that he'd had ever since Noah had been on the earth. You could tell it by the way they looked. And he was, he was scratching the dirt up over the fire to put out the fire. And he'd go around and around and around until the fire was totally out. He'd stay there until the fire was totally out, just, just dragging the dirt up on the embers. He said the man stopped at one point and he looked over and saw Craddock on the other side of the fire just taking it all in. And here's what he said. He said, Craddock, folks don't get any closer than this. It's called church. It's what we do. And Christianity is not Christianity without it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church. For this body of believers who look different, sometimes sound different, sometimes believe differently on certain things, but Lord, who come together because of a relationship that we all have in common with you, Lord. That even though we come from different backgrounds, we can come together because somewhere in our lives you touched us and you came into our lives to save us. We're bound by that relationship. And also, Lord, we're bound by our love for each other. For we may disagree sometimes, but we're family at the end of the day. We may want to choke the life out of each other sometimes, but at the end of the day, we're family and we'll go to the mat for each other because we're family. I thank you for the church. And Lord, now as we go to this invitation, there might be someone here, Lord, you know, who does not receive or has not received you as Savior. And Lord, and I pray for that person who hasn't been saved, Lord, if now is the time for them to come, I pray that you would touch their heart just a little bit stronger than, than you have in the past and that they would move out from where they are and come to this altar, this front place of prayer and invite you to be their Savior. I pray for those of us who are saved. There might be someone who's already saved, maybe even already baptized, but they're not a member of a local church. And Lord, I pray that they might come Join themselves with this local church family. Gather with us around the pond, around the fire. Lord, there may be somebody else here. They've already been saved and may be a member, but they're hurting. Or maybe there's something they want to pray for. Or maybe a, a, a friend or a family member they need to take to you in prayer. Lord, this is place where the church meets. Lord, you have met here with us today, and I'm so grateful, so grateful for your presence. Lord, I pray that this invitation time will be a time of everybody observing and experiencing the presence of our Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.